0: Thank you, Sandra. Do keep that reading open and we shall look at it and ask Jesus to speak to us this morning by his words as we read it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and we pray indeed that the Lord Jesus Christ, your risen son, will speak to us this morning and may we hear his words as he invites and in a sense warns us in those words this morning and may we have eternal life as we do so. In his name we pray, amen. Well, Donald Trump is, um, I think it's fair to say, quite controversial in some of the opinions he holds and expresses very publicly. Um, And it's often like that with historical figures, isn't it? That they're famous or controversial for the the things they say, the opinions they hold. But it struck me this week that Jesus is very different from that. He is controversial, not because of his teaching, because almost universally everyone loves his teaching, love one another and so on. He is controversial because of his claims. This is what makes Jesus controversial for for Muslims, for Orthodox Jewish people, and for atheists. That we Christians claim that he is the Son of God. And the teaching he gives them flows from that. And this section of John's Gospel, I think that comes out really plainly, doesn't it? Just how bold the claim of Jesus is. The setting here is that Jesus has just healed a paralyzed man. That was last week's passage, the first 15 verses of John 5. And what had upset the authorities was not that Jesus healed a paralyzed man, but that he did it on the Sabbath. He broke their traditions by making the man walk on the Sabbath. But what Jesus says is significant about that healing is not just the miracle or the sign, as he puts it, what it points to. It's that he healed him on the Sabbath. Because as we touched on last week, the Sabbath, verse 17, if you've got that reading open, verse 17, the Sabbath, well, God works on the Sabbath. God's always doing his creative work. And Jesus says, "Um, my father is always working to this day, meaning on the Sabbath day, Saturday, for the Jewish people, and I, too, am working. And the Jewish leaders clock immediately what that means, what Jesus is saying, as it says, he's calling himself equal with God, he's doing the work of God, the things that God does, Jesus says, I do, and they recognize this is, well, it's more than controversial, it's actually blasphemy. He deserves to die for it. And they're right. As good Bible believers, they are quite right. Um, There's only one God in the Bible. The Bible's always clear about that. And Jesus appears to be saying, there's God that, that makes things on the Sabbath, and then there's me and I do it too, like there's two gods now. And they recognize that is, well, that's heresy. It's blasphemy. If that's what Jesus is saying. So, um, verse 18, they see red. um, They reach for the the Facebook dislike button. uh, And they want him dead, in fact. Uh, What then follows, and we're going to look at this morning, is it's effectively a courtroom drama. I don't know if you you like courtroom dramas in films or on TV. You know, the kind of famous ones like Gregory Peck as the lawyer um, in... That incredible story, To Kill a Mockingbird, fighting racism. Um, The famous play, Twelve Angry Men. Uh, Courtrooms are very dramatic places often, aren't they? And this part of John's Gospel takes that form. And here is Jesus, and he's the one in the dock, on trial, accused of blasphemy. His opponents are the, the Jewish leaders, the kind of prosecuting counsel. And Jesus is in defense here, presenting his case and he does it really by making two points these are our two points this morning the way this reading breaks down firstly verses 19 to 30 Jesus says in his defense look at the sign and hear me explain it let me explain that miracle I've just done the sign of the paralyzed man being healed and then he goes on in the second half 31 to 47 to say and hear my witnesses and believe their evidence. So if you're taking notes, those are our two headings, and that's where we're going to go if you get lost this morning. We're in one or two of those two points as we go through. Firstly, then, look at the sign, the paralyzed man, and hear me explain it. Let me explain it to you. You'd expect if someone had been accused of claiming to be divine, in their defense, they would, they would either say, no, I never said that, they'd deny it, or they'll get a psychiatrist in to say, This guy is crazy. He never understood what he was saying when he said it. And he needs a, um, a course of medication, not a trial. But Jesus does neither, does he? He goes straight to the point and says, Rather than, No, I'm not the Son of God, he says, Yes, I am. And let me now explain how that can be true and how it links to the miracle I've just performed. Let me explain the sign to you. All the miracles in John's gospel, they're not just works of power from Jesus. They are pointers, signs, John calls them. What's this sign mean? Well, Jesus says, and we're going to see this, the paralyzed man being uh, miraculously raised to walk away, and then we saw verse 14, Jesus met him later and said, stop sinning or something worse may happen this sign means two things about Jesus. It means, first, he is the life-giver. He can raise the paralyzed man. He can raise you or me, even from the dead. And then it also means, well, he's the judge. He is challenging you and me this morning, if we'll listen, to get our lives straight with him before it's too late. Life-giver and judge. Judge. And verses 19 to 23, we won't spend long on those. There's a lot in there. But he really just quickly says four things to back that up. Um, Verse 19, the son can only do, only, uh, do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. We've said that already. What the father does, the son does, including raising paralyzed men. Verse 20, for the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater things than these. So what the father knows, the son also knows. It's in God's plan that he would raise the paralyzed man. It's in God's plan that Christ will go to the cross one day and be raised (coughs) for us. Verse 21. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life. What a massive claim that is. God the father raises the dead. So does the Son. He's a life giver. And then verse 22, the Father judges no one. Interesting, isn't it? But he's entrusted, he's delegated, as it were, all judgment to the Son. So as the Father's given authority, the Son judges. Life giver and judge of all. What Jesus then does, he goes on in 24 onwards to explain uh, not so much now how he's related to the Father as the Son. He's just done that, hasn't he? What the Father does, the Son does. What the Father knows, the Son knows, and so on. Now he talks about how as the Son of God, he relates to you and me. This is where it kind of really gets, it bites, doesn't it? It gets relevant for us. Verse 24, this is worth, if you're a Christian, or fact, if you're not, it's worth remembering this verse, memorize it. Jesus says, whoever hears my words, this is for you and me now, and believes him who sent me, that's the Father, has eternal life and will not be judged, will not be condemned. He or she has crossed over from death to life. That's the Christian message in one sentence. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me will not be judged because you've crossed over from death to life. If you or I believe the Father's witness to Jesus and hear his words, understand what that sign means about his life that he can give. We have eternal life. And you see the tense of that, has eternal life. It doesn't even just say, will one day have, has eternal life. And so in verse 25, those who listen to his words and will live, he's saying, You will live the moment you listen to me and respond. It made me someone this morning. This is you. You are hearing Jesus' words now as I speak them, and he's speaking to your heart, and you are receiving them for the first time as true. And he's bringing you, as I'm speaking, from death to life. Isn't that extraordinary? That's the power of Jesus' words. You will live as you hear my words, he says. And that's always the case in the the New Testament, that eternal life is not just something we wait for when Christ returns, what we call heaven begins. Eternal life, if you're a believer, starts the moment you receive Jesus' words. Happened for me in this church building 30 years ago, in the youth group. I began my eternal life. But it also doesn't stop at what we call death. Our mortality is no barrier to eternal life continuing Forever. And so he goes on to say, doesn't he, in uh, verse 28, that a time will come when all in their graves will rise. You won't just rise as you listen to me now, but those who've died will rise as well. Through faith in Christ, hear my voice and come out. And those who've done good, which in John just means those who believe me, will live. What a promise. Eternal life now and Forever. It's rather like when a, you know, a man or woman start going out dating and, and they fall in love and maybe get engaged. Um, their relationship has begun. It's already wonderful. But, of course, that love is only really consummated when the marriage begins. Eternal life has begun, if you're a Christian, but it continues and gets more glorious when Christ returns. So there is Jesus, the life-giver. What an extraordinary picture. What a promise that if you and I hear his words, they are life-giving. And I really appeal to you this morning to listen. Not to me, but listen to Jesus. Because he can give you life that no one else can. Now, he's also judge, as we've seen. Verse 27 is very blunt, isn't it? The Father has given him authority to judge because he's the Son of Man. Jesus, as one of us, has been given the power to judge the human race, to separate us one day, up to his right and to his left, as he says elsewhere. Jesus divides people right now by how we respond to him, whether we receive him or, having hurt him, turn our backs on him. But one day he'll also divide us between those who rise to life and those who tragically go into eternity without him. So, when look at the claims of Jesus here, these are stupendous words, aren't they? I don't see how some of the skeptics, so-called Bible scholars even, from this last century or so, can possibly argue that Jesus never made any great claims about himself. I don't see... Tell me afterwards if you can see this. How can you say Jesus never claimed to be divine, never claimed anything special other than being a prophet? And it's only Christians that in the second century made all this stuff up about him being the son of God. John's gospel is the work of one of the eyewitnesses, after all. It's written within a few decades of the events and the words he's recording. It claims to be, it sets itself out to us as eyewitness testimony. And if you are someone that's really struggling with searching Please do, just come along to that discovery group I mentioned earlier, because that's the place where we ask all those big questions, and you can tell us what you think, and we will listen, and we'll work this through together, looking at one of the Gospels, one of the eyewitness accounts. Who really was this? Because whoever said these things, as someone famously said, must either be mad, deluded, or he must be bad. He's just deliberately lying to us, or he must be what he claims to be, God. So that's our first big theme from Jesus this morning, and I just want to finish by reminding us of what Jesus said there. If you believe in me, he says, you cross from death to life, what a promise that is. There is no more important word for you or me ever to hear on human lips than those of Jesus. If you will believe the one who sent me, hear my words, you've crossed from death to life. For some of us here who are grieving loved ones, what a promise for us that there is one uniquely, no one else has done this, there is one in the human race who's beaten death and who hasn't just beaten death himself, he gives life to all who follow him. What a promise, how we need those words. So, look at the sign I've done, says Jesus. Let me explain it. He's just done that, hasn't he? He's shown it really means. Now, he says, hear the witnesses. Let me just bring some others forward now to speak on my behalf, in my defense. Hear the witnesses believe their evidence. This is from verse 31 onwards. The moment that the witnesses are called, it's always a very dramatic moment in a trial, isn't it? Uh, When you kind of think, oh, we're going to either have the defense completely undermined now by the witnesses or completely backed up and we will know the truth well jesus calls three witnesses we won't spend much time on them but he calls john the baptist if you look back to chapter one of john later you'll see he was a tremendous witness to jesus a remarkable prophet himself but he said don't look at me look at the one that's coming after me the lamb of god jesus he then says, look at my works, verse 36, the things I'm doing, the things the Father's given me to do, uh, the miracles, the signs, and ultimately my death on the cross, he says, is my final work, completing my job, dying for your sins to bring you back to God. Look at my works, he says, and believe that I am who I am, but because of what I do, I can show you. It's rather like the story about Paul doré the artist. He was traveling in Europe once. And uh, he was trying to cross a, a border between two countries. He'd lost his passport. And the border guards wouldn't let him cross. And he said, but I'm, I'm Paul DeRay, the artist. And I said, yeah, 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 no. Uh, and I'm Frankenstein. And he said, no, I really am. Let me prove it to you. Give me a, a pen and some paper. And they gave him a pen and some paper. And he sketched the scene in just a few brief strokes, in a couple of minutes. And they said, okay, yeah, you are. And they apparently let him through. Now, I don't know after Brexit if you or I can find such creative ways to get across borders. But that's the point Jesus makes. Look at the works I'm doing, they'll prove who I am. Then he calls the Father his last witness. John the Baptist, his actions, his deeds, and then the Father. And he actually means here, when he says, verse 37, the Father who sent me has testified concerning me, he actually means he's done that in the Old Testament testament as we call it the bible the scripture verse 39 he says you jewish leaders you diligently study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life these are the very scriptures that testify about me isn't this fascinating it's possible to read the bible and to completely miss what it's all about jesus In fact, there's a rabbi that used to say, apparently, um, the more law you read, the more life you receive, as if reading the Old Testament in itself gives you life. And Jesus is saying, if we do that with the Bible, it's rather like um, reading a prescription from the doctor, but having no intention of going to get or take the medicine. It's just a bit of paper. Eternal life, yes, it's in the Old Testament, but you've got to find it because Jesus is in the Old Testament. And he's there, of course, in the Old Testament. Uh, Look at the promise of God to bless the nations through Abraham, to send one day an innocent sacrifice for our sins, to send a king in the line of David to reign over us. And supremely, I think here, through Moses, he promised that he would one day send another prophet like Moses. This is Deuteronomy to lead his people from slavery to freedom. That's Jesus. So he says, listen to the witnesses. The Father himself, the one who you say you love and listen to, has testified to me right under your noses. If you read the Bible without looking for Jesus, you will miss it. So as I finish now, uh, we've seen, haven't we, the, the compelling evidence Jesus gives... Uh, Jesus warns us not to ignore or dismiss this evidence without looking at it properly. Again, that's an invitation to you this morning to go and read the gospel, come to that Discover group, look at the evidence. Don't please dismiss it without looking first. Because the only praise that matters is, is that that God gives us. It's, it's lovely to get other people to praise us sometimes, and you know, affirmation's great, but Jesus says if you're just looking for others to praise you, Including in the world of church, you've missed the point. The point is the praise that comes from God. Which is it for you or me? The praise of people or the praise of God? To receive his glory or seek our own. To honour the son or to hate him. To cross over to life or to stay in death. I think of a student here last year um, who was intrigued by Jesus but wasn't a believer in God, had real scepticism But as she came and read one of the Gospels with us in a group, and as she talked about Jesus with her Christian friend, she came to be, first of all, convinced by the evidence Jesus gives. And then she came to be compelled, converted, drawn to him who was first drawing her to faith for eternity. Jesus made his case. He's explained his signs for us. He's pointed us to his life-giving power. He's brought us all we need to put our trust in him. And if we choose, you or I can go from here in absolute confidence that his words are trustworthy. His promises and the Father's words are true. Millions of believers, billions of believers over the centuries have done the same thing. And we can go from here telling the world about him so that all who hear will believe and cross from death to life. Let's pray. Lord, your words are eternal life. We pray that you'll give us ears to hear, eyes to see what that sign means, that you are the life giver, the one life giver the human race has ever known. May we put our hope in you for this life and find life now and in eternity because of what you have done for us in your powerful name, Son of God, Son of Man, Saviour. We pray this. Amen.